Well, five years ago, almost to the day, all of Chicago turned their attention to the sky to watch a man do the unthinkable. A man by the name of Nick Walenda, who is a part of a famed family of tightrope walkers, was about to embark on one of his most difficult tightrope experiences that he had had. He was going to brave the winds of the Windy City, climb some nearly 700 feet to a wire that was suspended between three buildings. He was going to then, with only the help of a balancing rod, he was going to walk step by step, moment by moment, without any harness or safety net for a fall. He was going to traverse a wire that was less than two inches wide, and he was going to do so so that he could say it can be done. Uh, He would do this again over Niagara Falls, and he would do it also over one of the canyons of the great Grand Canyon, but he would do so to the amazement of others. And I thought it's such an amazing thing that we might just take a minute and watch this event unfold. Turn your attentions to the screen. All right, Chi-Town, let's do this, baby. You guys rock. Listen to that roar. There's some wind. did it you got this thing up nice and tight you're amazing i'm coming let's see if i can run well maybe i hit the edge of the building there we go praise praise god god be the glory pretty amazing huh 700 feet in the air he would then do another walk across another tightrope to another building but he would do this one blindfolded I mean, an amazing, an amazing feat. By the way, Nick Walenda is a wonderful Christian man, gives the glory to God in each of his walks. But why do I show you that? Because I want you to know, as you probably already know this morning, that living life is like walking a tightrope at times. There are moments and times where uh, the smallest misstep or the unseen circumstance, you know, he talked about the wind, and we know how the wind howls here in Chicago. He even makes mention to it of saying, wow, I, I can feel the wind. My goodness, 700 feet in the air, and one gust of wind could have taken him away. While his family's watching. At one point, you see his two children watching him on the other side. My children watch me take out the trash and are fearful I'll make it back. And so we, we've lived it in the Bedal family, those, those questions of will it work out? But life is a whole lot like walking a tightrope. It's delicate. We make a decision, we do something or something happens and it changes the entire trajectory of our lives and there's no safety net if we really think about it in life 
There's no do-overs. And so this morning, what Solomon is going to say is walking a tightrope is a great picture of what it means to live life. Now, what I want you to remember is that when Nick walks that tightrope, he only has one thing in his hand. It's a weighted bar. I looked for uh, the title of it. I didn't see it. It's just a weighted bar. That's what they seemingly call it. Uh, The dimensions of it is amazing. The weighted bar that Nick used was 30 feet long. 30 feet long. It weighed over 30 pounds. And and what he would say, and what all tightrope individuals would say, is that it is what keeps you balanced. This morning, what Solomon wants us to know is that living life is like walking a tightrope. And wisdom that he's been talking about over and over again in this book is the weighted bar that allows us not to fall to our death. It is the weighted bar of God's truth and God's word and God's perspective that allows us to walk the tightrope from point A to point B without coming down to our destruction. Now, where are we to receive this wisdom? I don't want you to think that wisdom in and of itself, we talked about last week, that wisdom is finite. It's not God. It's far from being God. But wisdom comes from the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Simply put this morning, my friends, wisdom is seeing everything you and I do under the sun from a godly perspective. What that means is foolishness is looking at our world and the details of our life from our perspective. And so God says, if you will fear me, you will begin to transcend all of the details of your life. You'll be able to see it from a drone's perspective, from heaven's perspective. But far too many of us are trying to walk this tightrope as fools. Without any weighted bar, we get on that rope, we make decisions, and that's why many of us find ourselves wobbling, and yes, even sometimes falling into difficulties and struggles. Now, here's the great thing about the scriptures and about our relationship with God. In James 1, God says that if we lack wisdom, if that bar isn't in our hands, we can ask God who gives it without finding fault. And so this morning, maybe you're walking the tightrope of life and God's sitting there saying, you need a weighted bar. You need something to balance this tightrope experience called life and I wanna give it to you. And I wanna give it to you free of charge and I wanna teach you how to use it so that you might get again from one building to the other without falling. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, What Solomon is going to say is that there is a weighted bar of wisdom needed in two areas. And he hasn't talked about these two areas. He's talked about a lot of elements of life, but he's going to talk about two areas where we need wisdom because in these two areas, we walk the tightrope each and every day. So let's look at our scriptures this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to look at first verses 1 through 7. Let's look at it together. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? 
A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Do not go, uh, do not, uh, be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and a wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything. Although man's troubles lies heavy on him, for he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Let's stop there. The first tightrope that you and I have to walk and where we need wisdom to balance our approach to it is in dealing with authority. Dealing with authority. We've got to address this issue of those who have authority over us. Now, wisdom's going to be needed, especially because we, by nature, don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be directed. We don't want bosses in our lives. I, as a middle son, recognize how little I liked bosses when my older brother told me what to do. And no one had to teach me to fight back on that. It was inherent in who I was as a human being. But here he says, you need to honor, you need to respect, you need to obey the king. How ironic that the king says, I want you to obey the king. That would be like saying, as a pastor, your job is to respect and, and honor me and do what I say. It seems to be a bit self-serving, but that's exactly what King Solomon says. You need to obey him, as ironic as it may be. But it goes deeper than that, because it's not just this issue of a king. The Bible is clear that you and I are to submit to the authorities that are over us. And so we have these individuals who God has placed over us for a reason. Uh, and we see it all over the place. Tomorrow we're going to go to work. And for many of us, there will be someone who is over us, who has authority over us, one who supervises us, one who tells us what to do. For our kids that are in the schools tomorrow, they're going to have a teacher and principals and staff that are over them. They're going to set the rules. They're going to set the expectations. They're the ones giving the test. They're in authority over the kids. Children, you have another authority, and that is with mom and dad. We're going to drive out of this parking lot, and some of you are going to be extra hungry heading off to breakfast, and you're going to hit the gas a little hard, and there's going to be lights in your windshield or your rearview mirror, and there's going to be an authority who says, pull it over, here's a ticket. We have authorities all over our lives. Let's just face it, as Americans, we have the great opportunity of doing what we did this last week and voting for those who are going to govern over us. And, and what do we do when we don't like what they say? We don't like how they operate. What are we to do? What is to happen? Well, uh, the foolish thing 
is that Solomon says the foolish thing that we can do is that there is a right way and a wrong way to deal with authority. Notice uh, in the text, it says in verse 5, whoever uh, keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. What it is is the king is just sapping this individual of all joy, of all peace, And maybe this morning you're under somebody who's got you all full of angst. And he says there's a foolish way to do things and there's a wise way to address that. Let's deal with the foolish first. The foolish, there are three things that uh, we should not do. Number one, write these down. It may be helpful for you. We need to be careful not to push off the authorities around us. Notice in verse one, we are to keep the king's commands. And we are to keep the commands of those in authority. To push away is to do the exact opposite. And so maybe today, you don't like your boss, and your boss tells you to do something, and you just say, you know what, I'm not gonna do it. I have no intention of doing it. I know that that's required of me, but I don't like you, and I don't like you telling me what to do, so I'm not going to do it. There will no doubt be teenagers in our midst who don't like the authority of mom and dad and they say, listen, I'm not gonna do what mom and dad want. I'm gonna push away their commands and I'm gonna do it my way on my time because I am my own authority. Criminals find themselves pushing off authority, that is breaking laws and even abating uh, the uh, Individuals who are coming to, to incarcerate them and they're put away into jail. And so we see that it's easy, it's a part and parcel to us as human beings, the desire to push away authority. Now, the reason why we shouldn't is because he says very, very clearly that these authorities are there because God's put them there. That God's given them an oath. He's, he's given them their job description, their role. The second foolish thing that we can do is when we don't like authorities is not just push away authority, but allow our passions to get the best of us. The text says, do not be hasty to go from his presence. And so the picture here is the king tells his subject something to do. And literally, the individual shakes his fist and begins to bark out what he thinks of the authority, what he thinks of the king, what he thinks of his boss, what he thinks of his parents, what he thinks of his teachers. And and here Solomon says, be careful that you don't allow your passions to get the best of you. The idea here is what Solomon is saying is that Authorities are going to make at time your blood boil. At time, authorities over you are going to do things that you don't think is fair, you don't think is right, and, and, and your initial thought, your initial response is, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to allow my anger to boil over and my words to begin to spout off all the things I think of the person. And sadly, the fool will regret saying those things many times. For some, we have said things out of anger that have cost us dearly. 
because of authorities over us. So we need to not push away authority. We need to be careful not to let our passions get the best of us. Number three, he says that we should not participate in ungodly rebellion. He says don't take your stand in evil uh, schemes and in evil causes. Now, we need to ask the question, is there ever a time to rebel? And I would be hypocritical to say that no, there's never a time to rebel. There's never a time to take your stand. There's never a time where you go up against authority and say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And the reason why I'd be hypocritical is because I'm an American and this country was built on a rebellion. It was built on a group of people taking their stand and saying enough is enough. I would be hypocritical as a pastor of a Protestant evangelical church because we are not Roman Catholic. We protested. Martin Luther says, here I take my stand. I can do no other. Enough is enough. You can't sell, Mr. Pope. You can't sell tickets into heaven was the issue in Luther's day. You cannot do that. And I'm not going to stand idly by watching my parishioners think that with a little money and a certificate of paper that they're never going to face the flames of hell. There is a time and there is a place for rebellion. There's a time and a place for protest. There's a time and a place for standing up and letting your voice be heard. But here the writer Solomon says, be careful that when you take your stand, you are righteous. Don't allow your tactics become evil. Don't allow your words to be slanderous. Don't allow uh, your actions uh, to be seen by others as evil. And that's a fine line. We've got to be really, really careful on, on how we operate that. And you see that even within the most righteous of rebellions. There are things in our American Revolution, if you read them, that you would be ashamed of. Things that we did. Innocent people that got caught in the wake of it. Within the Protestant Reformation, some of Luther's own followers began to burn down churches and see people put to death of which he was horrified by those things. You see, when you take a stand, you have to be so very careful because the unintended consequences that can come might be greater than you ever thought or imagined. And so be careful not to think that your righteous cause is righteous, therefore you can do whatever, say whatever you want against those governing authorities in your life. Is there a moment to take a stand? Yes, but you need to do it in a way that honors the Lord. No matter, listen to me, how evil and difficult those moments may be. And and by the way, we're not always going to agree one Christian to another when that protest, when that stand needs to take place. In Nazi Germany, one of the most prominent of preachers, in fact, the most listened to individual in Germany uh, during the 1930s was Adolf Hitler. Number two was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran German pastor. And he was a part of a plot, this pastor was a plot to assassinate Hitler. 
And from that moment, throughout all of now the history that has gone after him, Christians have gone back and forth. Did Bonhoeffer do what was right or wrong? Should we murder? Should we assassinate? Or is it something that's just when evil is there? Listen, when you take a stand, when you rebel, you've got to recognize not every Christian is going to say, yeah, I agree with you. And so be very, very careful. Make sure that you're doing it in a way that pleases God the Lord. You're going to stand before him one day, and you're going to have to say, I led a rebellion against my parents, against the teacher, against my boss, against the government, and here's how I went about doing it. Now, let's remember, we are built upon a faith where our forefathers in the faith, the disciples, took their stand against the religious leaders of the day who told them they could not preach Christ. They did it respectfully. They did it with great clarity. We can't obey you and obey God at the same time. And because you've diverted from what God says, we're going to obey God and not you. Sorry, but we, we speak to, we follow a higher authority. But nowhere in there do you see them being uh, altogether riotous and rebellious. They went and did their thing, recognizing that God's authority was higher than the one that was speaking to them. So how do we use wisdom? If that's not the way that we go about it, pushing away uh, our leaders or our uh, authorities' uh, commands, not allowing our passions to get the best of us, not participating in ungodly rebellion, what do we do? Number one, write this down, wisdom, you bring that weighted bar into the tightrope of dealing with a difficult authority over you, begins by pursuing uprightness and obedience. The text says, here in verse 5 and 6, it says, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. If you just do what you're told, Solomon says, you won't be faulted. Now that's not completely true, because there is no doubt individuals who are towing the company line who find themselves always in consternation of whether to follow the authorities over them or to obey God. The idea here is that your conscience is clear. You know you've done as best you can. You know that you're seeking to honor those authorities to the best of your ability. And you can sleep at night knowing you're not a rebel, even if it means you have to stand opposed against them. And so what we need to do, wherever we're at, whether we're a child within a home of parents, whether we're a kid in a classroom with a teacher, whether we're in a in place of employment with an employer, or whether we're citizens of uh, this country under this government, we need to do our best to live lives of obedience. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 says, we are to live quiet lives. We're not to be known as rabble-rousers. We're not to be known as disobedient, riotous people. But we are to live quietly so that, that God's name may be glorified. That the world may see that, listen, we are about the change of hearts. Now, the reason why that's altogether important is, if you do what you're told... 
if you are compliant as best as you can, as far as it depends on you, that you're living at peace with the authorities over you, when you do cry foul, now it means something. But if you're constantly complaining, constantly bickering, constantly bringing up uh, how the establishment or how the, uh, the, the head honchos are not doing their job, no one's gonna listen to you. But when the quiet one who's at work on time and does what's asked of him says, hey, hey, wait a minute, time out. I can't do that. It shines a light much brighter than it would if you're the complainer or the one who's constantly seeking to create rebellion. Now, does that mean it's gonna go well for you? No, but we see that with the life of Daniel. Daniel sought after time after time seeking to do what is right with those in authority and there were times where he said, I I can't do it. And it caught the attention of those around him. It still landed him in the lion's den, but it brought a perspective that, wait a minute, why was Daniel so compliant with point A's through L? Now at L, he's unable to do it. Something changed. Something is different. So we need to pursue righteousness, uprightness, and obedience. Number two, bringing that weighted bar into the difficulties of that tightrope with that tough boss, with that, with that governing authority you don't like, means you gotta pick your battles carefully. Solomon says there's a time to do something and there's a time not to do it. Remember, this harkens back to Ecclesiastes chapter three. There's a time for everything. There's a time for peace, he says, and there's a time for war. And you and I need to, with God's help and God's wisdom, recognize, is this the battle? Is this the moment? I've been talking with a friend of mine who is, and I'm thankful for uh, a ton of our people who are uh, teachers, administrators, staff within schools, and and let's just face it, uh, living in and doing commerce in the public spaces is getting more difficult. The, The world is saying we've got to define things the way the world does. We have to declare things that the world says are important for us to declare. And this hits especially for those that find themselves in areas of, uh, of public sector, including our schools. And one of our educators was saying to me, I've got to figure out where the line is for me. Because there seems to be a lot of lines that I've got to ask the question, is this the line that I take my stand? Is this the line that I take my stand? Or, or is there a line later on I will? And, and he hearkens back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. These guys living under authority, they're living in captivity. And they no doubt had to allow certain things to go. They were living in a pagan country. And one line after another, no, I'm not gonna pick that battle. No, I'm not gonna pick that battle. No, I really wanna pick this battle. But but wisdom says, wait, I'm gonna keep my tongue. I'm gonna keep doing what's right. And the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, brings out a statue. He says, everybody's gonna bow down to this statue. And that's where those three Hebrew boys say, you know what, this is our stand. This is our battle. And we need to stop, and we need to say, no, we could do everything else you asked of us. We didn't like it, but we wanted to be faithful to you as as we believe that God is faithful in putting you in high places that you're in, but this this is a bridge too far. 
And for you, Christian, who find yourself there, you're gonna have to pick that battle. And I would seek a multiplicity of counselors. I wouldn't spout off and say, there's the battle. And don't run headlong into it. Let's remember Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter picked his battle. He pulled out his sword. He cut off Malchus's ear. And Jesus says, wrong battle. You're doing the wrong thing. And some of us are ready to wield the sword. And Jesus is saying, hey, I got a bigger plan. And now you got yourself running headlong into something that, that you shouldn't. Pick your battles carefully, Solomon says. Finally, look for God-given processes to address your issue. Verse five, there is a just way of addressing this. There's a just way. We live in a country, listen to me, we live in a country where, uh, and I'm thankful for God for it, that there's recourse to our struggles when it comes to authorities. Uh, if you're a child that doesn't like what mom's dad are doing, I, uh, you can go to DCFS, and maybe you should, okay? If they're doing something criminal against you, you've got a recourse. If, if you're a kid in a, in a classroom, you don't like what's going on, uh, there's a chain of communication. There's a whole lot of people you can go above the teacher after addressing it and deal with it. In, in the workplace, there's so many rules and regulations that sometimes drive us nuts, but some of them are there for our good. We don't like what our supervisor's doing. We can go and address it. What about those governing authorities in us? What do we do? We don't like it. We call them elections. We say, we don't like what you're doing. We're going to vote for someone else in the next election. We're going to get someone who is going to do what we want. There are a lot of options for us. There is a just way of doing things. We see that in the Bible. Joseph did it with his brothers. Nathan, who brings a charge against the king about his adultery with Bathsheba, he does it in a right way. Nehemiah, who's burdened to see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt, does it very, very tactfully and wisely. There is a wise way. Brothers and sisters, grab that weighted bar and walk that tightrope with God along your side and with God's wisdom in your hands, not running headlong like a fool and then saying you're a victim. So many of us are running headlong as fools, saying things and doing things, and when things don't go the way we want them to, we say we're victims. Number two, gosh, I burned my whole sermon in point one. Point number two, we need to understand the anomalies of life. In verses 7 through 17, let me read that and, and let's just glean some truths from it. It, it says this, um, for, no one, uh, for he does not know what it is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man uh, had power over man to his hurt. And then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. 
Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before the Lord. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are those wicked uh, to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said to this, this is also vanity. Let's stop there. What in the world is Solomon talking about? What Solomon is saying in this text becomes crystal clear when we see he's saying about life, I don't get it. I don't get it. I look at life and I think I'm a smart and wise man and there are things in life, there's inconsistencies, there's inequities that just don't seem to make sense. And he speaks to them. There's four of them. Write these down. Four things that don't make sense to us. Number one, death. Death doesn't make any sense to us for those who are alive. It doesn't make any sense. And here's why. We don't know when we're gonna die and we don't know how we're going to die. I want you to think for a moment right now in your chair. I want you to think about when am I gonna die? And then I want you to think about how are you gonna die? And I'm gonna tell you there's a really, really good chance you're gonna be wrong on both accounts because you have no earthly idea. I have no earthly idea of when and how I'm gonna die. That's what makes death so scary because it comes upon us in many ways without warning. And so we just need to recognize we have a 100% chance of dying. We don't know how it's gonna happen. We don't know when it's gonna happen, but it will, and so we need to do something with it. Number two, the second thing we need to do something with is the difficulties of life. The difficulties of life. Verse nine tells us that we have no power over man to his hurt. What it means is we don't have the power over our trials. And so today, as you're sitting, everything seems to be going well on Sunday. Something this week, we're a big enough church that something this week is going to become a very difficult thing for one of us. Some trial, some tragedy is going to befall one of us. And we're gonna be ill-prepared and in many ways ill-equipped for it because that's what makes difficulties difficult. We're not ready for them. We're not ready to take them and do what we need to with them. Maybe it'll be relationally. Maybe it'll be financially. Maybe it'll be physically. Maybe it'll be spiritually. Nonetheless, we have no idea. I, I, I am so encouraged, and I know many of you are, to have heard that Jared Williamson is home after a month in the hospital. Yeah. For those that don't know Jared, Jared's a 40-year-old guy from our church. He's got a wonderful family. He may even be watching online right now. And, and he was coming home. He's a college football coach. He was coming home late Saturday night uh, about a month ago from a college football game that he had been participating in. He's going home to see his wife. He's going home to see his kids. And, and what happens? In a blink of an eye, a drunk driver comes and crushes his car. And for the next month, he's in intensive care, learning how to walk and how to use his arms and getting mended back. In that moment, I can assure you of something. With all respect, Jared had no idea what was coming his way. No idea. That's the problem with those difficulties in life. We have no idea that they're coming. And it's easy in those moments to ask questions. Why, God? Why is this happening? What is going on? And the answer is, we don't know. 
We don't know. Number three, how about the deception of life? So Solomon says, okay, verse 10, I'll go to a funeral. And notice what he says, follow the logic. I go and I saw the wicked buried. Don't forget, the wicked. The wicked are being buried. The wicked used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised. Wait a minute. How could that be that a wicked person could be praised for all the good stuff he's doing in the church? The answer is because he deceived everybody. He deceived everybody. He showed all kinds of righteousness, but in the end, he was evil. He was wicked. And for some of us, we have been deceived by people. Maybe we've been deceived by a spouse. Maybe we've been deceived by a boss or a business partner. Maybe we were deceived by a politician. Maybe we were deceived, God help that this happens here, deceived by your pastor. You believed one thing and the other thing became a reality and the hurt and the pain and the sorrow that has come and you're asking, why God? Why did this happen? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Number four, you have death, you have uh, difficulties, you have deception. Finally, you have the delays of God. The decisions of God may be another way to put it. Why is it, God, that you allow the evil to not be incarcerated? Why is it, God, that you allow the good men to die young and the bad men to live forever? Why, God? Why, God? And the answer is, help me out, we don't know. We don't know. And so what do we do? What does wisdom do when those questions in life come? What is that balancing bar? The answer is humility. I don't know, God. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not infinite like you are. And so I'm gonna humble myself and recognize I don't get it. Let me throw some quotes your way and hopefully they will just help uh, this in the process. The first quote comes and it says this about life. What we have here is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. If you don't get it, that's the reason why it's said. Life is hard. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Another individual, William Durant, said this, our knowledge is a receding mirage in an expanding desert of ignorance. Again, you don't get it, that's the purpose. We are finite, friends. We don't have all the answers. To which a Persian proverb put it this way when he said, he who knows not and knows not that he knows not, he's a fool, shun him. He who knows not and knows he knows not is simple, teach him. He who knows and knows not he knows is asleep, wake him. And he who knows and knows he knows, he is wise, follow him. Now keep that up there because half of the crowd has no idea what I just read. Focus in on that last statement. When you know what you know, and you know why you know it, you're wise. And and the reason why is you know what you don't know. And and for young people, this is hard because you're know-it-alls. And and you're not original to it because I was a know-it-all when I was younger, and my parents were know-it-alls when they were younger. It just comes part and parcel with being young to think you know it all. But life comes in and these mysteries and these anomalies come in and they begin to push what we think we know and it reminds us that by the time we're all done with this, we knew very little. We knew very little. And so wisdom 
when the mysteries and anomalies of life come our way, wisdom humbles us. I am finite, God, you're infinite. I am simple and you are complex. I am low and you are high. I am weak and you are strong. And just continue with the superlatives. God, I'm nothing, you're everything. And when humility gets you there, you're walking in wisdom. And what that will do, what the mysteries of life will do is my closing point. It will then allow you to live with the right attitude. So what do we do with the governing authorities over us? What do we do with the anomalies of life? We do two things. And it allows us to walk this life without falling to our deaths. It's what will balance us out. Notice in verse 12, what are we called to do? We are called to fear God. Respect God, to revere God, to extol God's greatness, to put God as the first and foremost, to make him preeminent in all things. That's what it means to fear God, to worship him as God, as greater than yourself. As the greatest thing in the world, you acclaim and you speak and you declare that God is everything and we are nothing. Then that means that I'm going to look at God's perspective of this thing called life, not my own. Then I'm going to allow God to set the priorities of this thing called life, not myself. And so I am speaking to this God who is greater and smarter and wiser than I am and more powerful than I ever will be. And I say, God, you're it. You're it. And so I'm going to live life above the sun from your perspective. I'm going to do it your way. And you know what God says to those individuals who will live life above the sun from his perspective with his priorities? Notice verse 15. He says, you'll have fun. You'll have fun. You'll be able to eat and drink and be merry. Why? Because you will know and recognize whatever difficulties you have with authorities, there's a higher authority. And that higher authority says the evil won't get away with it. That there's a day coming where I will avenge, I will repay. So be patient and wait. And when the mysteries and the difficulties and the anomalies of life come, You don't throw your hands up and say it's hopeless. You hand those issues over to God and you become hopeful. God, you've got it figured out. God, you've got a plan. God, you've got a purpose. God, you've got a meaning for this. And so I'm gonna put it in your hands and I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna believe in you and I'm going to rest in you. And when we do that, we're able to eat, we're able to drink, we're able to be married. We are able, my friends, to live the good life.